0: Long ago, when the prophet Elisha was serving the kingdom of Israel, the kingdom of Judah was in a time of change. The usurper queen had just passed away, but the rightful king was too young to rule. Thus, the nation was led by the high priest until the boy came of age. Under the rule of the high priest, the altars of Baal were torn down, and the people of Judah returned to God. In that time, a plague of locusts came and ravaged the land. The locusts destroyed everything, covering the whole land. In the wake of this catastrophe, the people's minds were made ready to hear the new word from the Lord. God called forth a new prophet, Joel, to proclaim the coming day of the Lord.
1: Good morning. in 1988 there was a drought that hit the Midwest. It was a drought similar to the drought that hit Missouri and Oklahoma in 2012. It was a drought where, it, I mean, it didn't rain for months. At the time I was 15 years old and I was living on a farm in southern Michigan. It was a, it was a drought that we felt uniquely and deeply. I remember watching my dad going to the calendar and he would mark the days off since it hadn't rained. There were lots of days it started in in early May and it didn't rain until early August. I remember being at the at the kitchen table or going to church and the first thing and really the only thing that we prayed about was we prayed for rain. And we'd go outside and after praying we'd see these clouds and the clouds were like fake clouds. They'd like they'd pass over top of you and you'd get your hope up and then they would just keep on moving or they were paper-thin clouds, and it never rained. Then, in early August, in early August, the clouds brought rain. Finally, they moved in, and they began to rain. And the drought came to an end. The ground that was, had been so parched and had deep cracks in it just soaked up that rain. Well, the ground wasn't alone in celebrating the reality of rain. Um, the, the crops that had been withered up and the corn, the corn that had just, every time you looked at it, its, its, um, its leaves would curl up. It began to just open up and receive the rain. My mom came back from my grandparents' house. She had been over at my grandparents' house on the, on the day when it rained the first time. And she said, you are never going to believe what I saw today. And I said, what did you see? She said, well, when it began to rain, your grandfather, and my grandfather it was right there. He said, She said, he went outside and he just stood in the rain for what seemed like, an uh, you know, just a long period of time. And then, she said, he began to dance in the rain. He began to dance in the rain. Now, I was 15 years old at the time. My grandpa was 61 at the time. And as a 15-year-old boy, I could not really imagine my grandfather dancing. And, and most of the time, he wore bib overhauls. And I'm like, how in the world does he dance in that? As, I, as I'm now in my mid-40s, I can imagine my 61-year-old grandfather dancing. But he danced to rejoice in the fact that the rain was coming. The rain was, was present, and the ground, the ground was receiving its nourishment, and the crops would receive their nourishment. It was something that, that we all depended upon who were in, in that part of, of agriculture. As we turn to the prophet Joel, Um, The prophet Joel is somebody who is dancing when we open up the story that he wants to tell us. He's dancing because like a drought, something else has come into the land of Judah, a severe calamity. But they're at the end of that calamity. They're at the other side of that calamity when Joel begins to write. And so he opens his letter with these words. And when we hear these words, we should imagine a prophet dancing and rejoicing and and just giving glory to God for what's taken place, he says this: "The Lord gave this message to Joel, son of Bethuel. Hear this, you leaders of the people. Listen, all you who live in the land. In all your history, has anything happened like this before? Tell your children about it in the years to come, and let your children tell their children. Pass the story down from generation to generation. What is Joel dancing about? What is he? What is he rejoicing over? What is he? What does he want?" one generation to tell to the next. Well, in the next several verses, he's going to tell us what that story is about. He's going to tell us about how there was a plague of locusts that came and attacked the crops of Judah. Uh, And he describes it like this. As we went out from our houses, we looked before the locusts. We looked upon our gardens. We looked upon our land. And it looked to us as if it was the Garden of Eden. It was plush and it was green everywhere. And then we looked up in the skies, and there was one plague of locusts who came, and they ate everything that was on the stalks. And then we looked up again, and we saw another plague of locusts come, and they ate the stalks themselves. And so this place that looked like the Garden of Eden suddenly looked like a desert. And in the midst of the swarms of locusts that came, we began to wonder, what in the world is going along? What's brought us to this place? And in the midst of that time, God drew near. He drew near either to Joel or he drew near to some other prophets. And the prophets were people who could hear God, but they could also see things that were happening in the world. They, they not only saw the fact and the reality of the locusts, but they began to see things with theological eyes, and they saw that there was something wrong beyond just the fact that locusts were present and eating, and eating the crops, eating everything that everybody was going to rely upon for food and and life into the future. But the prophets were seers. And as, as they saw the locust, they just didn't see the locust. But Joel says, at the head of the army of locusts was God himself. Whoa, God himself was at the head of the army leading the army of locusts against Judah. What was it that brought God himself to come in that way? And Joel says, here was the problem. Our hearts were turned against God. Our hearts were in love with a lot of other things, and he doesn't necessarily tell us what those other things were, but he says our hearts were far from God and they were in love with a lot of other things. We were people who were pursuing all kinds of of other things in our life other than pursuing God. And so the locusts came and the prophet will describe the moment when the locusts came as the day of the Lord. It's like God was trying to get our attention, or it was a day of, of judgment. And yet, even as the Lord came in that way, there was a word that came from God to the prophet Joel, and the word was this, turn to me. Turn your hearts to me. Find that I am a compassionate God, a loving God. Turn your hearts to me. And so Joel and, and others, they called for a fast. They called for a gathering. They called people to come to a place where they could have a public display of, of seeking God together. And they did that. In fact, um, the prophet said, we called all kinds of people, people who were old, we, we carried them to this place where we were gathered together, people who were young, who might not come. And they said, and we even called people who were away on their honeymoons, we called to everybody that we could imagine, come to a gathering, where we will seek the Lord. And and we'll see what's in our hearts. We'll make confession, and we will open up our hearts to God. And so the prophet says, we've done that. He's at the, at the other end of the story, and he says, we've done that, and God has heard our, our cry, and God has paid attention to how we've turned our hearts to him. And so God, at the, near the second half of, um, of chapter 2, says this. He says, the years are the stuff that the locusts have eaten, I am going to return to you. As they've come in, as the cutting locusts, as the swarming locusts. they've taken everything. But f- be not afraid, because I am going to return to you. And I am going to give you what you need to live, and I'm, I'm going to dwell in your midst. So um, the prophet is ecstatic, and he's, he's happy, he's joyful, he's dancing around with this message. Have you ever um, been in a spot like... Joel was and the people of Judah were, where when you look at your life, it just seems like there are locusts or something is coming along and everything is, is eating your lunch. It's everything that you attempt, every move that you make just falls flat. And you find yourself at your, at your wit's end. In uh, in 2001, 9-11 9-11 took place, and 9-11 was an event that touched all of us in some form or fashion. In that moment, I was living in a small village close to Grand Rapids, Michigan, pastoring a church, and it was a church that in some ways it was, it was precarious, and yet in, in that moment before, as we were entering, in, entering into September, we were really hopeful because we had some plans that we thought were going to be really good for this church, and on, on 9-11, um, the world shifted, the world changed. And it wasn't just the world in New York or Washington, or it was the world everywhere that changed. And 9-11 had significant ripple effects into the lives of people in the church that I was pastoring. And before long, by the time, by the time November came, the wheels were off everything. The wheels were off people's lives, the wheels were off the church. And I found, I found myself at a spot where I was saying, Lord, I have no idea what to do in this moment. There were moments where I didn't even want to get out of bed. you know. And, and when you don't want to get out of bed on a Sunday, that's a, bad, that's a bad thing. When you don't want to get out of bed on a Sunday and you're a pastor, it's a really bad thing. I did not want to get out of bed. And then there was a a moment where a phone call came. And sometimes in our lives, it's a phone call, or sometimes it's an email, or sometimes it's a text, or sometimes it's something, uh, just a note. Or maybe it's a song on the radio, but God has a way of putting prophets in our lives. Where he says, I know where you're at, and I know what you're feeling, and I know what you're thinking about, Turn to me. And maybe we find ourselves in distant places because our hearts are really far from God and we've been running away. And God finds a way to speak to us in those moments. Or maybe it's just the reality that we live in a world that isn't fully yet redeemed and life is just not fair. And God finds a way to say, Turn to me. Turn your hearts to me and see what I will do. Turn to me. And so the people in Judah, they begin to turn to God and they begin to see God do things that they couldn't imagine and God provide for them in ways that they couldn't imagine. And so Joel says, we ought to have a celebration. We ought to be people who dance and we, we have a story to tell of God's good work in our life and a story that we have to tell today and we've got to tell to the next generation to our kids and we've got to tell it to their generation after them. We've got to be people who tell the story of God. And then... The Lord comes again to Joel and he says, Joel, he says, I love the fact that you want to tell my story. I love the fact that you want to tell my story to people who are in the second and third generation. But Joel, he says, there's something more that I want to do than just make a way forward. And in the end of chapter two, we find God coming to Joel and he says, Joel, I want to pour out my spirit upon the people. And so he makes this promise, God does. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all the people, not just the people of Judah, not just the people of Israel, but I'm going to pour out my Spirit upon all the people of the world, upon all people. And you're going to see things that you've never seen before when your sons and your daughters will prophesy, when your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. In those days, I will pour out my Spirit, even on the servants, men and women alike. You see, everybody gets in the game here, right? Everybody. And I will cause wonders in the heavens and on the earth. God goes on, and he continues, and he closes this message to Joel with this word at the end of chapter 3. He says, I, the Lord, will make my home in Jerusalem with my people. He said, Joel, you you guys are celebrating because because the locusts are gone, and that is fantastic, but you need to know this. I want to do more than just make a way in in the wilderness that you— you've seen yourself in right now. I want to be close to you, in you. I want to fill your life. I want us to have communion. And so the whole idea of God saying, I'm going to be in Jerusalem means I want to be in close proximity with you on a daily basis. I want to be your, your God and I want, I want there to be great joy. Now that's a significant promise of God. That's a significant move of God because The people of Israel and the people of Judah and even us from time to time, we think that having closeness, proximity to God, is for a certain few people. In the book of Exodus, God invites Moses and a number of people up to a mountain where God's going to reveal himself. And the people look at Moses and say, we've heard the invitation, but Moses, how about you go? We're afraid of who God is. And so Moses goes alone by himself. And the people are afraid. They have this sense of awe, this sense of wonder, but God is separate from them. They even put a fence up around the mountain so that nobody will go up onto the mountain except for Moses. Every now and again, I, somebody will turn to me because I'm a pastor, or I'll hear this comment to other pastors or other people who are in ministry. They say, well, what do you think? You've got to be closer to God because you're in ministry. And I think to myself, now wait a second. When God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit upon all people, he doesn't mean just pastors. When God says, I'm going to pour out my spirit and there's going to be a close proximity to me, he doesn't mean just people who who work at a church. But God says, I want to pour out my spirit upon all flesh, upon everybody, so that you can have a great closeness, a great communion with God. And when God does that, God moves in some marvelous ways. God God finds a way to renew the earth. God finds a way to renew his people. God finds a way to not just provide for us, but to lead us and there to be active communion with us. And so this promise of of Joel, this promise that runs throughout the entire Old Testament, becomes a fulfillment in the the book of Acts. And Jesus even points to it. Jesus says, I've come, and and the Father's going to send the Spirit. And the Spirit comes on the day of Pentecost, and 120 people who've been waiting and praying and they don't really know what God wants to do, but they find God in their midst and their hearts are changed and their tongues are, such, their, their tongues are set on fire in which they tell the story of God. And everybody who's in Jerusalem begins to hear what God has been up to through Jesus Christ. And they continue to tell the story. And over the centuries, they've told the story about how God wants to be close to us. God wants to have communion with us and fellowship with us. God wants us to be people who are, who are filled with his spirit. And when his spirit moves, the world is changed. The world is different. We can dance like the prophet Joel. We can dance because our souls are saturated in the goodness and the wonder and the mystery of God. Here uh, at uh, Schweitzer, we've got a number of places where we think, We've been able to see the spirit at work and where, where God is, is renewing people and he's changing people, he's transforming people. One of the places that we see this happening is in the life change plan. Jake talked about it as we went into the offering time. The life change plan is a ministry that um, came into being about a year ago. And it was, it was an idea that, that was birthed out of a sense of need. We saw people who were are who part of sober living houses, and they were coming to worship at Schweitzer, and they had a bit of a plan, but it didn't all connect, and it didn't connect in such a way that they were encountering the freshness, the aliveness of God. They weren't really seeing their their lives transformed. They were taking steps, but they weren't seeing the goodness that, that we knew could take place, and so Mark McNally began to pray, and the Spirit directed, and he put in place Uh, an outline of what a life change plan would look like. And he invited people to be a part of it. And this past uh, April, we celebrated as four people entered into that life change plan, and they graduated. They came out on the other side. And we want to share a video with you of of a number of those folks who graduated from that. And you'll get to hear a little bit more about what the life change plan is here. Take a listen.
0: I entered the life change plan about a month after I came to New Beginnings. So a typical day beforehand would have been waking up, scrounging up some change, going to the store and getting drunk. And that went on for about 10 months up until I came to New Beginnings.
1: In their covenant with the church, they have journaled in prayer and scripture and we've offered tools for them to to do that on a daily basis. Weekly, they have met with a mentor attended worship on Sundays, been in weekly Bible study, given financially and served within the church.
0: Well, I had been involved in programs that promoted sobriety and recovery from substance abuse, but to be to be presented with the opportunity for a program to um, become a better Christian and learn what it means to be a practicing Christian and part of the church and um, Christian community was exciting. This transformation happened when I stepped foot into this church and New Beginning Sanctuary and the life change plan.
1: Um, it's changed my way of thinking. It's changed my way of being who I was. I know now that
0: I always have somebody to talk to,
1: and that I don't have to be afraid because the Lord's got my back, a hundred percent of the way.
0: I feel like the life change plan and the um, habits and practices implemented through the daily reading and journaling is what helped make the transition from a recovery program that that just promotes sobriety into a life of long-term recovery and um, progress just moving forward in the world, I mean getting along in society. Life Change Plan is about people, like-minded people, coming together with accountability and community with the same goal
1: in mind and helping each other get to that goal. Okay. Boom. <laughs> the life change plan is a is a place where the spirit is alive and the spirit's active and, and people are encountering God's presence in the midst of their daily life. One of the things that I love to hear often about people who are in that plan, and this is a word that comes from both men and women, oftentimes as they're going through the midst of it, because they're in a sober living house and because a number of them have had issues with the law in the past, many of them are separated from their own kids. Their kids often are in foster care. They don't, or they're with somebody else, another parent. and So they're really distant. I think about what, The Lord says to the prophet when he says, I'm gonna restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. As the spirit works in their life, as they go through that plan, there's a point where time and time and time again, these dads and these moms, they'll stand up on a Sunday night and they'll say, I got to see my kids. I'm starting to get, I've got a plan. And there's a plan in place for me to get reconnected to my kids. And I think, what does it look like? What does it look like for God to restore lives? It's when moms and dads get to be reconnected with their kids. It's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's the power of the Holy Spirit at work. And it's a power that those who are standing up making those comments could never have on their own. They don't have in their own capacity, but God's at work. And God is transforming a community. One of the other things, one of the other ministries that we see here at Schweitzer that that we're just thrilled to be a part of, that really God has been moving us into, is a partnership with Pittman Elementary. It's It's a local neighborhood elementary school. Seven years ago, Pastor Jim was out driving around town, and he said he heard the Spirit say to him, drive in there and see if they need any help. And so Jim took his car in and he walked in the doors and he didn't know anybody who was there. But he just introduced himself and he said, I'm at Schweitzer and I just wondered if there was a way that we could be a partner in some way. And the, the principal at the time, uh, Laura, Principal Laura, she said, sure. And so out of that sense of, of listening to the spirit, God has led for a number of ways in which Schweitzer's connected with Pittman. We've got a good news club and we've got a, a mentoring plan and there's something else. We've got a a store where kids can buy things. There's all kinds of ways in which we're partnered at Pittman. Recently we received a letter from a a father of a couple of teachers who teach at Pittman. And this father said this. He said, My name is Bob and I have two daughters that teach at Pittman Elementary. I want to let you know how much I appreciate all that you have and your church have done for the teachers and children at Pittman. I assure you that you are making a difference for Jesus at Pittman my daughters have told me of the, of the many methods you have used for outreach to the children and families at Pittman, and your outreach ministry is fantastic. Thank you and your church for serving Jesus. Thank you for helping my girls as they teach these children, speaking as their father. I appreciate all that you do. See, that letter came about because the Holy Spirit was leading and guiding and saying there's a place, a place where God wants to do some new things. Well, in fact, Bob, the father, he continued in his letter to say I've been so moved by the example that I see there that I'm gonna go into my local neighborhood school in Chicago and I want to be coached by the people who do the Good News Club at Schweitzer I want to be coached on how to do a Good News Club at my neighborhood school the spirit keeps propelling the work right where people's hearts are open the spirit keeps leading and and recently Pastor Jim he went back and he reconnected with with Principal Laura and he said Laura uh, what's next what what's God doing and he said, I felt like in asking that question and, and Principal Laura's response, felt like this, this theme of Joel was coming up again. Old men will dream dreams and young women will see visions. Evidently, Pastor Jim thinks he's part of the old men category. He's like, what's the, what's the thing? Because Principal Laura said, here's the thing that I see, Jim. I see a lot of young little boys running around and they don't have any male influence in their life. So that's the need. That's the thing I see. And Jim's like, I've got a dream then. I've got a dream about how some of the stuff we have at Swites are like a gym and, a, and some, some guys who like sports can maybe connect with a bunch of little kids so that we could put people together in a mentorship thing. And So if, I'll tell you what, if the Spirit prompts you in your heart, if you've got an interest in that, if, if you've got a dream about that, if the Spirit's pulling on your heart, talk with Pastor Jim about that dream he has. So friends, I've got to, I'm going to bring this to this place where I ask a question. How is it with your heart today? How is your heart with God? Is it full of God? Do you know the goodness of the Spirit? Is there aliveness and freshness? Is, are you, are you dancing? You know, like when we sing the songs, like, do you just want to dance because you know God's goodness? If you're at that place, hear the encouragement of the prophet Joel. What what makes you dance? What's the story inside of you? How has God rescued you? Uh, You've got a story there. Joel says tell that story to the next generation and to the next generation. I'd like to tell you, make sure you tell somebody today the story of God in your life. Find somebody, dance some somewhere and and when they ask you why are you dancing, you tell them what God's been up to in your life. Or maybe today you're here in this place and you look at your heart, you think about your soul and you see cracks in it. You're parched. You may look at your life and you think the wheels are coming off this thing and I don't know where to turn to next. Hear the prophet Joel. Turn your hearts to the Lord. Listen to the stories of others that have encountered God close to them and say Lord Jesus and Holy Spirit here's my heart I open it to you here's my heart I turn it to you do with me what you want to this morning we're going to come to the Lord's table and as we do we're reminded that in the bread and the cup of wine and some very simple things of the earth that God provides for us. He makes a way for us. Both for our physical bodies and for our spiritual bodies. And Jesus comes and he breaks the bread and he blesses the wine. And he says, take and eat. This is my body. Given for you, given for your souls. So Holy Spirit, we pray that you would be poured out upon these gifts of bread and wine. May they be for us the body and blood of Christ and may we, and may we be for the world. people who tell of your good work and your story. May we be bears of good news. In the name of the Father, Son and Spirit, we pray. Amen. I'd like to invite the servers to come forward, and as they do, um, I'd like to point out that over at the table over here are gluten-free elements. And I'd like to give you an invitation. The table of the Lord is an open table.